Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode four of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have Rebecca Ferris, and we are going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about church. And um, Rebecca and I are friends online, and we were texting one day on Facebook Messenger, and she sent me a link to an article. It's actually, a, it was a movie review of the I, I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. That's what it's called. And um, she asked me, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, Rebecca, both Rebecca and I are first-generation homeschoolers. Um, and she was saying, I wonder how many people married and how many women, girls, married an abuser because of this philosophy. I did. So that's what I thought we'd talk about. Actually, I said, hey, this would make a great podcast episode idea. So, <laughs> so here we are. We're going to talk about that. Absolutely. So Rebecca, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, your experience with that book and and how you met and married your abuser. And by the way, Rebecca is now, she it, uh, was married to her abuser for 17 years? Or was 20, it? 20 oh. total by the time the divorce was final. Okay. So, um, and, and she is now remarried to a wonderful man who, we're going to talk a little bit about that too later. And, but this whole episode, podcast episode is going to be all about church, spiritual abuse, the kinds of things that we were programmed um, w- into as women, and how that brought us to a place where we were actually like the perfect, uh, the perfect candidates to be abused. Absolutely. Well, um, so I was raised, so what I didn't share in my, um, my other story is I was actually adopted at the age of 13 and I grew up in a Can I interrupt us really quick? Sorry. Um, I just want to say, I forgot to say that Rebecca just did a, um, she just did an hour long testimony time that is going to be exclusively available only to flying free members of the the private flying free support group. And so because we had done that video, um, then there were so many more things that we wanted to talk about. That's why we decided, Hey, let's do a podcast interview too. So if you are not part of that flying free support group, it opens up every four months. And I'm not sure when you're going to be listening to this podcast, but, um, depending on when you listen to it, if you go to my website, which is flyingfreenow.com, all you have to do is sign up to get on my mailing list at the top of that page. I don't spam people. I only send out an email here and there, but um, you will get an email when that group opens back up again. And then you'll be able to, once you're in the group, you can hear Rebecca's whole story. It's an incredible, incredible testimony and um, of just a woman going from crawling to flying, which is what flying free is all about. Okay. I'm really sorry. Interrupted. Oh, not at all. We're, not at all. Keeping it real here. Um, okay, go ahead. So I was adopted at 13 um, and I grew up in a children's home that was supported by a independent fundamental Baptist church. And that is code for, word for crazy. Uh, they independent, uh, most independent churches I've ever, or super conservative, or have ever come across, um, have 
many things in common. The one is that their view of women. Um, in this children's home, I was uh, sexually molested for years. Um, so a lot of trauma early on, adopted by an amazing man who married my biological mother. So that's a whole nother story. Um, my adoptive father was Italian and did not know God. <laughs> In fact, was very far, far from it. He was a very connected Italian, as we call it. Um, he made his money in not such great ways, but he had a lot of it. Well, a year after he adopted us, um, a, a Baptist door knocker knocked on our front door, shared the gospel with him. He became a Christian. He stopped doing all his bad things, gave his life over to supporting missionaries. Um, so just amazing testimony there. But because my dad was in his 50s when he became a Christian, um, what did not grow up super educated, was very street smart, extremely street smart. Um, my abusive mother was always taking us to churches that were this abusive type church, meaning they had very defined roles for what a man could do and be and what a woman could do and be. And that was just the beginning. Uh, we began homeschooling. And I would say uh, a lot of people think those first generation homeschoolers were like the pioneers and they were fighting the system and all this. And most of them were just homeschooling because they were hiding abuse, um, very abusive homes in those early years, uh, more abusive than not, I would say. And I've got a lot of experience in this world. Um, so once we started homeschooling, of course, you go to these homeschool conventions and who is there talking but the Harris family. Um, and Josh Harris, of course, was there. He was two years older than I was. And we kind of hung out. Um, he, you know, all the teens kind of would hang out together at those events. And, and then my parents became active in the homeschooling world. Um, and started traveling to conventions. So I saw, I, I wasn't just a homeschooler. Uh, we were headlong into it. And, and it wasn't the homeschooling that was bad. It was the isolation, the extreme Christian views that only got more extreme. And so by the time I was uh, 15, we had a strict rule in the house that the only friends you could have were your siblings. You can go to church, but you don't have church friends. Of course, you didn't go to school, so you had no friends there. Um, so isolation, um, because, you know, even at church, those kids going to public school, you know, we got to be careful then. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, that that was not healthy. Um, when Josh Harris's book came out, of course, my mother read it and we were never allowed to date. Um, basically, you were allowed to court, but courting meant you were 100% sure that person was going to be your spouse, but they had to pick you. You couldn't pick them because you're a woman. Right. <laughs> so obviously um, having an abusive mother coupled with abusive philosophies that you're living by um, my it, in the, in the home at that time, I had one older sister and the rest of the kids were younger than me. My older sister uh, loved the system and she stayed in it, still is in it. I didn't. I wanted, I wanted to go to college. 
but no, no college for women. Women don't need to be educated. They need to bear more children. Mm. I wanted to go into the Air Force. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Oh, my word. That was like saying I wanted to be a prostitute. I mean, I got slapped in the face for even saying it. Wow. So when I turned 18, I left home. The, the problem isn't that what I, I met my abuser at 18. He was in his 30s. What my parents did, and I, I really believe my dad thought he was doing the absolute best thing for me. He was a great and wonderful dad. My mother was just abusive, uh, totally bipolar, just really not a good person. And what they did with their children is we were totally unprepared for the world. I married an abuser. My sister below me married an abuser. My brother never got his feet under him and has struggled his whole life. Mm. I can go down child by child and there's not one child that has a healthy life because of all, primarily because of the church and its teachings that my parents believed, bought into. Mm-hmm. And, and even after I married an abuser, um, we began going to this church and, okay, so I'm coming out of this rough childhood, abusive situation. My, uh, mother had divorced several times. So in my immature brain, I attributed all of the family mess to divorce. And guess what? That's what the church wants you to think. So it, it went right along with it. So we visited a few churches and this one church just talked heavily about the importance of family, the importance of staying married, the importance of raising your kids and homeschooling them and all this. And I really bought into out of a, just a genuine desire to have a, ironically, a normal life. Uh, This idea that it's all based on submitting to your position as a woman. I, um, during the time I was between 15 and 18, um, my dad understood my mom was abusive. So he allowed us opportunities to get out of the house frequently. And I worked for him from uh, just a very early, early teenage years. Um, I would spend 12 to 15 hours a day in the office just so I could avoid being at home. And so because of that, I learned, I learned bookkeeping and accounting. I learned computer programming. I learned how to run a business. I learned logistics. I learned inventory management, uh, retail versus wholesale. I, all these business things, you know, I went to my, the meetings that my dad had, I sat there and learned everything about how to do business. So here I am, I'm 18. I've never held a man's hand, but I know how to be an accountant. (laughs) I know how to file tax. I was filing taxes for people at 17 years old. Um, But yet I I didn't know the first thing about relationships Mm -hmm. and I surely didn't understand what love was. Um, So got married. Well, I got pregnant because my, my abuser lied and said he was sterile. And so I got pregnant. I had to marry him. I wasn't given a choice. Um, I never, because of the church's teachings, I never felt I had a choice. Um, And then we, we started going to this church that we found and it seemed 
it seemed good. I mean, it seemed like the people were good. It seemed like they wanted to do the right thing. Um, but I was just so incredibly naive and such a people pleaser and always looked at everyone as, as what I would do and be. So I would look at an abusive pastor who maybe have done something or maybe an abusive pastor's wife and go, Oh, she didn't really mean that. I'm sure she meant this. Like always excuse people because I would never say that to somebody. I would never hurt somebody that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the midst of all of that, there was this constant hammering of this underlying philosophy that successive marriage was the woman's shoulder was on the woman's shoulders to bear success of children was solely on the woman's shoulders to bear. Oh, they would mention being, you know, the godly man in the man, the head of the household, man, if I've heard head of the household one time, I've heard it a million. Um, <laughs> and, and ironically, it's nowhere in scripture. There's not one place in the scripture. And I have a, I have a dear friend who is, um, she's Jewish. And so she goes to synagogue and I have the most fascinating conversations with her because she's she's stout stoutly Jewish, so she's really studying the Torah. She's really, you know, talking to the rabbis, and so it's fantastic that this period of my life, I'm like questioning everything I was ever taught. I ask her, I'm like, so what? What did the Jewish people believe? Because obviously, patriarchy started with Abraham, their father. <laughs> so <laughs> help me understand that. <laughs> And she's like, no, Jewish people do not believe that the man is the head of the household. They believe that the women are actually more spiritual, that the woman's prayers are more valuable. She goes, the men have to pray seven times or whatever it is a day because men tend to be bad people. <laughs> and uh, Interesting. so it's so ironic that uh, the church has, has, is where it is today. It, it is one of the most frustrating things coming out of an abusive situation to questioning why I was in it, to learning what I've learned from how the Bible was translated to how this uh, misogynistic, and and I know people are like, oh, that's a dirty word. No, it's not. It is a real word, just like narcissism. Mm -hmm. It is rampant in the church. And yes, I live in the Bible belt. We say the buckle is right here in Tennessee and, or the buckle is the oppression of women really. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and people say, oh, this is not happening, you know, other places. Your one church was extreme. It wasn't one church. Mm-hmm. I went to six different churches in my 20-year bad marriage. All six, some were Baptist, some were non-denominational, some were Presbyterian. Um, all, And then I grew up in an Assembly of God church. So uh, I feel very well-rounded. <laughs> you um, are well-rounded. And you know what? Your, your story has also been... I've heard your story or <laughs> versions of it, literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of women have the same story of abuse in their church of all kinds of different, it's not just one denomination. It's Absolutely. any, it's any church that really, that teaches the idea that, that men are over, have a power over position over women. If exactly. you teach that, that is the foundation for abuse. That is abuse because the definition of abuse is power and control. So if men have power, so it would be the opposite if women, you know, if a church taught that women have power and control over men, same thing. You've got an abusive situation, power and control 
is abuse. That is not the way, that's not the gospel. So what's so interesting is even uh, if we look at some of the books of Paul, Paul is actually talking to churches that are having a problem with power over that is that the women are doing. And right. that's when he's saying women need to be silent. He's not saying because women are less than. He's saying, look, you're you're being abusive. And in other times it's men that are being abusive. We are human. Yep. You know, my my husband, uh, he wasn't my new husband, he's amazing. Um, he is, has been in law enforcement for more than 40 years. Um, from military to special forces, FBI, all that. He's from local PD, um, very well-rounded. And, and he, sometimes I will get so frustrated and I will tell him, I can't stand the church. It's just abusers. And he'll go, no, (laughs) he goes, no, Becky, it's just people. And he goes, but in his experience, he has arrested a tremendous number of so-called pastors, elders, deacons, leaders from churches for anything from sexual, uh, misconduct, um, rape, indecency to pedophilia. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to jump in and say, I just recently heard that of the top 10 professions that abusive people hide in the being a pastor or a religious leader is number seven. Wow. I would love to know what number one is, (laughs) but, um, so, and he said, you know, even he goes, when a, a bad person will always look for the opportunity to be where he can perform badness and cover it up. And he goes, you know, sometimes that's pedophilias. They hide in the, the, the Boy Scouts. He goes, do you know how many Boy Scout leaders we've arrested? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's not just the church, but it is a, a lot in the church. And, uh, and I don't want to discount, there are some good churches and some good pastors. I can't necessarily name a whole lot, but <laughs> my husband tells me they're out there. <laughs> um, so no, but I think what's interesting is the, 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 another hard thing for women is we go to churches and like your gut tells you there's something wrong here because that power over, I, it's satanic. And it is oppressive and you can feel it in your gut when you walk in a church. Um, Just like a a mom can have that intuition that uh, uh, that guy is probably a pervert. um, You got to listen to that. And the hard part though, is you feel in your gut, something's wrong, but you look around and there's all these happy women. So there's something wrong with me because I'm seeing stuff and nobody else is seeing it. I was, I was sitting in a church about a year ago and, and I, I have a really hard time going to church. I, I get anxiety and panic attacks um, because of, I, I really endured a severe amount of abuse in churches. And um, it was Mother's Day of all days. And the pastor made this crack about women and everyone laughed and I just stared and I just thought, you know, obviously I don't want to be a prude and like, we can't joke about anything, but what he said was indicator of how that church operated. Right. And I never went back after that day um, because it was, you know, a power over men are superior. Women are inferior. And, and I'm not, and I don't think, you know, and then we get these, um, 
I have been called a feminist. I don't know how many times <laughs> uh, because I dare believe that I have the right to be equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the problem is if the church, there's so many in the church, whether they realize it or not, have the power over belief system, even if it's not fully in play, it's a foundational belief that most, I would say most churches believe because it's ingrained in both. I mean, it started hundreds of years ago when the Bible was translated and verses were added or taken away or changed to make women secondary beings. Um, So from there forward, that's all we've known in our churches. And so even when you say, oh, no, they don't believe that. Yeah, people still believe that in their church. So, yeah. One of the things you said way back at the beginning, um, you said that you didn't have a choice. You know, when you um, when you got pregnant, you had to marry this guy because you didn't have a choice. But I remember you. I think uh, when we did the other interview, you'd said, "I did what I my choices were either marry him or." basically be rejected and have, you know, everyone would be, would kick you out. Well, and, and and I have been, I proudly say I've been excommunicated from three churches. (laughs) Um, Wow. You got two up on me. I know. So one, one was for the divorce, obviously. And then the other two, um, one was weird. I got a letter saying we were excommunicated three months after we left. So that, I don't even know what that was about, but uh, that was a church where I started a company. And the church said, you can't start a company without giving our approval because you're a woman. This was a reformed (laughs) Baptist church, mainstream. Talk about power and control. Oh, I know. So I I just wrote a very kind, loving letter saying, we appreciate you. We thank you for all you've done. I mean, we had not been at that church very long. um, And it was very obvious very early on. It was you know, I, I feel like I went from the absolute worst church and every time I visited another church, it was a little less cultish and controlling, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so three months after we had left, I got a letter saying I had been excommunicated for, for disobedience. Um, the first church that we were, I was excommunicated from was, uh, now for people who don't know my story, I was married to an abuser who refused to work for 17 years. He did not work. Um, and when he did work, he would get fired right after the six month mark so that he could draw unemployment. And so he was extremely lazy, extremely self-centered. And I had no option, but to figure out how to provide for my kids. So, um, I would, but the church said that I wasn't allowed to work outside the home because I was a woman. I had to, you know, of course they would quote all those scriptures, taking them out of context. So I learned you know, this is where God's grace comes in. Even in that muck and mire, the Lord provided avenues for me to program from home. I would, um, I would start at six o'clock in the morning at uh, about eight o'clock. I would stop and wake the kids, homeschool them when they were down for naps, work another two hours after dinner, baths, bedtime stories. Um, I would work another four to five hours. So I could get an eight hour day in of work and still homeschool and provide for my kids. I had no other life but that because there was no time for it. But um, even in the midst of all that, the Lord made a way. So, so that first church, because, uh, you know, I have no income, the, the past, the, the church 
the, the church income began to diminish and the pastor was not being able to be paid. He was a former engineer. And so he wanted to start this engineering firm. He knew I had business knowledge and experience. I, bu- I could build websites. I could put together sales teams, all that. So he asked if I could work with him. And I thought, no, because I'm not allowed to work outside the home. And, and, uh, and he, oh, well, for the pastor, you can. And I was thinking, this doesn't make sense. But in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, maybe this is a way for us to get off food stamps. You know, that's all I cared about was like providing for my kids. Mm-hmm. So I went to work. I built a multi-million dollar company in two years. Mm-hmm. And when I uh, took the kids to Washington, D.C. To, to meet a friend and for a little, you know, vacation to see D.C., um, this pastor who had stolen my identity racked up $180,000 in loans and credit cards in my name. And I had no clue. And I came back from that trip and found a note on my door saying I had been excommunicated from the church because the pastor's wife said that God told her that I was trying to have an affair with her husband by working for him. Unbelievable. I know. And I, even as I am telling you this story, I am thinking what in the world? (laughs) But it's almost, it's like, it's so insane. I was 24 years old. I mean, I had, I was 24. I had no, I was raised in such naivety and uh, I just was totally clueless. And so that was, uh, that was actually one of the most difficult times in my life because not only did, did we not have a church and of course we had no other friends, but our church friends because of isolation, you know, uh, but then to nearly lose my home and because I found out about all this debt he'd, he'd racked up in my name. And so uh, it, my situation I know is pretty extreme because most people would probably, I mean, nowadays you can track your credit, know when somebody's using it. Um, but I found out later he had done this to seven other women. Uh, so he was a, a career criminal. Yeah. Um, but everything on the outside looked like it was, you know, this just wonderful church and, and everyone was, had happy families and, and it was never the case. Um, another thing I realized is abusers tend to gravitate towards abusive churches because it helps them maintain their abusive control. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's that it's got, again, it's got the foundation that, that basically that the, the entire structure of and belief system is built upon. And that's that 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 belief system is that women are less than men, and if you've got that there, that excuses and justifies any kind of psychological, spiritual, whatever power and control over another human being. Absolutely. You know, one of the oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, the thing that keeps striking me about when I think about the church and the, and what it teaches and they, they, you know, I'll see posts on Facebook and it all sounds so spiritual and so holy and so godly. And they, they twist the way they twist it. They make it sound like if you kind of, if you rise up and say, no, this isn't right. If you try to, if you try to raise, elevate women to their proper status as human beings mm-hmm. made in the image of God, you know, they, they call you a feminist or whatever. Right. But this is the exact opposite 
of love. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ came and how he lived his life. He laid down his, he laid down his rights. He laid down his power in order to love the people that he was around. And so when, when you've got entire structures that are saying, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to say that certain people with certain, uh, body parts are better than and deserve to, you know, deserve certain rights while other people with other body parts do not deserve those same rights, do not deserve that same honor. That is one of the most, it it really is. In fact, you said even in the interview that we just did, um, you said that the church is never, ever going to influence the world as long as they have that, that, that structure set up because it is the antithesis of what Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. It's the, of who God is. Isn't and that when, amaze you? The number, I mean, there's no way to say what percentage of American churches or churches worldwide that believe this way, but I'm, it is a high percentage because I mean, it started back uh, with Augustine. I mean, we're, we're talking translation of the Bible period. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, as you were saying that, you're absolutely right. It's, it's nothing like what Jesus came to say. And ironically, um, the only way to sustain this system, they have to go even one step further. So if you want to maintain the control, we not only have to convince women that they are less than and that they have a position. It's, it's you know, if, of course, if they came in and, and just said, you know, women are less than, it would never fly. But if they come in and say, there is a God-ordained system, a program, a 12-step. <laughs> right. I mean, that's how they sell it. And then, and of course, they're twisting scriptures, but they have to twist more scriptures to even maintain it. And, and, I'll give you one example. Um, I subscribe on Facebook to a couple different pages and there's this one and and she's a very sweet woman, um, but she's always posting things that it's not scripturally correct and like a big one. And this is, this is what keeps women in the power under position. uh, Forgiveness. You Mm. need to just forgive that the reason that you're saying women should have equal rights is because you're a bitter, unforgiving woman. But the reality is the scripture never tells us to forgive without the, the offender repenting. And this idea, it, it's, there's so many foundational blocks on keeping this really crazy system in place. I believe forgiveness is one of the big ones. We live in a church system in society where if a man rapes a woman, the church is more concerned about the woman forgiving the rapist than holding the rapist accountable. Right. And the same thing with abuse. They're more worried about keeping that marriage together than dealing with the abuser. And it all comes down to the power over. They've got to maintain it. And the only way to maintain it is to continually twist the scriptures Forgiveness is one of many examples, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, until, and you know, Natalie, so, sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Like 
why is God allowing the one thing he put on this earth, which I'm, it makes me question whether the church building itself is right because the church should be the body of people. And we have morphed that into a church building and a paid salary staff and all this and power and all, you know, where does God ever say that the church is about a power over every, everything in the new Testament points to any type of church or community or get gathering is about people serving each other. Um, but like, where do you go from, from recognizing it to changing it? And I don't know. I, I think for me, it starts with my five kids and it starts with challenging them. I have a daughter who's engaged right now. She is starting marriage counts. She's getting married in about six months. She's starting marriage counseling. And she had a discussion with me just, just two days ago. And she said, but what, what if we're wrong and the man is supposed to be in charge? So that told me that even Mm -hmm. through everything we've been through, we have been so ingrained with women are second class that she, and she's, she's studying to be a lawyer. She's very analytical. Um, she's a smart chick. She's out in the world in school. I mean, for her to say that really blew my mind and it just goes to the underlying issue, um, being there, there's so many steps you've got to, you've got to bring awareness to women of the issue and you have to make it important enough to change. And unfortunately, the obstacle of overcoming the the men that want to keep that power structure is almost impossible. Yeah. I was going to say, um, my answer to her would be, what if we're right and men are supposed to be like Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I told her? I, and I, I've, I've said this to several women. Can you name me any other relationship where somebody has to be in control? Right. And, and you know what? I have had women say to me, well, yeah, at work or the government. And I said, no, at work, you get paid for somebody to tell you what to do. In the government, you pay taxes so that you can live in that, in that city or in that country. Yep. I said, that is an exchange of a benefit for a payment. Right. And that their job, not their relationship. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, is those leaders, those elected leaders or those, you know, teachers and bosses, those people are in a place, are put in places. First of all, if you're not paying, like if you're not getting paid like a boss, you're, you're getting paid. But in the other situations, like police officers and teachers and things, they are in a place to serve you. Teachers serve by giving you information so that you can go, so that you can, you know, make a life for yourself. Police right. officers serve you by protecting the community. Your government officials serve you by representing you in government. So they're actually, they're serving. And I know that, you know, you hear Christian people, they'll say, well, you know, these men are, they're servant leaders. No, that's just no. a flowery, that's like spraying, <laughs> putting a, you know, a earring in a pig's snout or spraying perfume on the pig to make it smell like yeah. it's something that it's actually not. That, that does that not... Like- that has to come from that missing book in the Bible that everyone keeps referring exactly. to that I just can't find. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's not even common sense. And I think the, at the older that I get and the more, I feel like I'm finally shedding a lot of, really a lot of mythology and just landing on 
Number one, the common sense that God gave us. And number two, it all boils down to Jesus Christ, who he is. He is the center of the universe and what he came to teach us and to model for us, which is love. It really just boils down to love. And here, here's, we have to close now because the podcast, I want to keep it, uh, we could probably, you know, have we like two hour hours, podcasts, but, right? <laughs> but um, I want to close with this. I, a lady on Facebook, uh, there was a Facebook discussion thread kind of about this kind of thing. And um, someone who I'm pretty sure wasn't saved, there were some atheists that were kind of chiming in. And mm-hmm. one of them said, you know what, as soon as you say the name Jesus, then I know that it's going to be something, you know, stupid and not common sense and whatever. Mm. And, and, and that right there, it, it, that it, right there, it's in your face. What it is, is it's saying that we, we as a church, because of this false foundation that's built on a power over structure, we are bringing shit, dragging the name of Jesus Christ through the mud because mm-hmm. Jesus Christ has nothing to do with that rotten, disgusting foundation that the church has built on. Jesus Christ is not that foundation. And yet, because they're using the name of God as their, you know, as their weapon of control, they have dragged, they've blasphemed the name of God. And that that is the thing that probably troubles me disturbs me to the depths of my being more than anything else. And pretty sure it doesn't even disturb me even remotely a speck as much as it disturbs God. And I I just really believe, yeah, go ahead. I'll just say this on that note. So when I read about Jesus, um, and obviously I'm, I read from a very different perspective today than I did 10 years ago, but Jesus was always upset with the so-called Christian leaders. And then I take one more step back and I think, okay, what did those Christian leaders really do? You know, to some, they were very abusive, but to most, they weren't. And that's the problem. Uh, If you think about, you know, the, the religious leaders, like everyone followed them. Everyone went to church for the most part back then. And just like today, most people go to church. Most people uh, don't follow, you know, the pastor to the T or whatever, but there are, but in each situation, Jesus was uh, calling them out for specific abuse to more like individuals, not whole groups. And I think nothing has changed in that respect. It just has a new facade. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that that's encouraging as much as to say, <laughs> well, I will tell you what, let me tell you what's super encouraging. Um, this is the only time in human history where women have a platform called the internet to educate, to encourage, and to comfort each other. And so, Natalie, what might seem like this overwhelming task, this overwhelming mountain to climb, we just might be laying the groundwork for what our great-grandchildren completely Dis, you know, take care of, just like slavery. I yes. really do think a lot of what the the way that uh, the church views women goes back to the way they viewed slavery. Yep, I agree. I agree, and amen to everything you just said. And that is that is what I'm hoping. I'm really hoping that this, you know, the internet. People can bash it, 
but it is an absolutely incredible tool for um, that's going to be transformational, I believe, for the church. How, how different would your life have been or my life if I had been able to find a group on Facebook that were having similar issues with their husbands and, and then be able to pinpoint and recognize what it was and then the same with the church? And I would have learned, I think, 15, 20 years earlier yeah. what I was actually involved in and, and had been able to get out. Um, obviously, the Lord has everything for a reason. Um, and I don't mean that God's in control of everything. We have choices. We make those choices. And sometimes we're just stupid. And then we wise up and we make better choices. <laughs> um, so, But information making... does help. You know? It does. It, uh, I was going to say that. I know we're running short. Let me just say that too. Uh, I used to say the word conviction all the time back in those early days. Oh, I was convicted of this or I was convicted of that. It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, the only thing that you can be convicted of is what you know. It's what you've been educated towards. And, you know, sometimes people are educated that two plus two equals five. And that's what happens in church. You are educated that you should be and think this way. And then all of a sudden you say, oh, well, God convicted me of this. And I had a really hard time um, going back and thinking, so that wasn't really God. There's a lot of times in my life I thought it was God and it wasn't. It was a really messed up way of thinking taught by the church that led me to think that I was hearing from God. Yeah. That's a whole nother topic though. Yeah, (laughs) it is. We'll have to get together and do another podcast episode. Absolutely. All right. So thank you for uh, joining us, Rebecca. It's been super fun to spend the last a couple of hours with you really. And um, for the rest of you who are listening, if you have not already subscribed to this brand new podcast, I encourage you to do so. Also, if this is a subject that's important to you, please leave a comment and share it with other people that you know, other women that you know who may be interested. That's it for now. And until next time, fly free.